I'm Krati Mehra and this is Beyond the Goals podcast. It's my attempt to help you revel in all that life has to offer without pressing pause on your hustle. We learn how to create healthier relationships, a healthier lifestyle, a career that brings us true joy and a life that satisfies us on every level. Forget the conventional ideas of success and happiness because we're going to live a life of value and create an impact that speaks to our place in the world. So let's get started. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Golds. I hope everyone listening to this show is in excellent health, staying safe and looking forward to a wonderful new year. And I'm very excited to share today's episode. I would like to say that I have immensely enjoyed absolutely loved creating each and every episode that I've shared on the show so far. But this one is definitely my favorite. Megan Bruno, this episode's guest, has been uh, one of my favorite writers. Her writing style is, it's refreshing. And the candor that she brings to each piece of content she creates helps the reader relate to her writing. And maybe it's just me, but a lot of the times when I read her articles, it almost feels like I'm reading my own journal except that I am finally looking at the issue from a wider perspective and it makes it easier for me to find a solution. Basically, I'm telling you that I adore today's guest and I'm also telling you to read, listen, watch as much of her content as you can because she is a brilliant, insightful therapist and coach and she looks at every issue that she handles with such compassion, something you're going to notice during this episode as well, And sure, she's an expert with the answers we need, but she also gives her clients, her listeners, readers, something we all want in our life. And that's a space, learning that's completely free of judgment. Megan Bruno, also known as the Millennials Therapist, happens to be a master at that, giving you the right answer without any judgment and making you look at your own situation, at somebody else's situation with so much compassion and yet such clear logic that you can't help but appreciate the wisdom that she brings into play. And while the guest, Megan Bruno, is a huge reason for why I'm so thrilled to share this episode, another reason is the topic of this conversation. For me, learning to manage my emotions, uh, effectively expressing them when needed, learning to be vulnerable without feeling ashamed or exposed, and to a certain extent, even learning to weaponize my emotions in a good way, not letting them run the show all the time. All of it massively changed my life for the better. And it's the same for a lot of other people. And frankly, out of all the issues we face in our life, cultivating emotional intelligence, developing the skill of self-regulation, learning to correctly identify the emotions of people you share your life with, all of this, I think, matters more than any other skill in life. Even in a professional life, emotional intelligence matters more than you might think, which is why today's episode, I think, will help a lot of people. We'll be talking about why we need to get out of our comfort zone, how to manage the fear that comes with it, and how not to regress back to old habits should things not work out when you take such risks. That is, you know, when you step out of your comfort zone and things don't go your way, how to keep moving forward instead of regressing back to, you know, your old patterns and clinging to your, to clinging to what is comfortable and familiar. We're also going to discuss how to embrace vulnerability, something I think we all struggle with. So we learn how to embrace vulnerability and as we do it, how to steer clear of the victim mentality, how to self-analyze and self-criticize in a healthy, constructive manner setting boundaries and reparenting yourself, and lots more. 
all of it extremely relevant and useful to building a happy, successful life. So let's get to it. Thank you so much for making time for this interview. Of course. Thank you for reaching out. How did you find me? Oh, I have been reading your articles for quite some time. Uh, I am a huge fan of your writing. I love the way you write your articles. You're so very candid about your personal struggles and you really go deep into your subject, which is something <laughs> that I really appreciate. And I remember reading your article about, um, you know, that when you were 30 years old and you were so comfortable being alone and uh, that I, I don't remember the, the title of the article, but it was about being too, a little too comfortable in your, uh, yeah. in your own company. And you had done this, this deep analysis of your own thoughts and you were critical, you were objective and you, uh, also try to put forth your opinions on why you have taken the approach that you've taken in your life. And that resonated with me so deeply because it was like I was reading what was going on in my head, except that I was able to get all this insight from it that made a lot of sense that helped me. So that's something I've always appreciated about your writing. Yeah, I, at the time, oh. I didn't think I would have you as a guest on a podcast. So, so I'm super thrilled to have you here. And I'm ready with like lots of questions <laughs> oh I'm so thrilled to be here and and thank you that means so much it's you know it's interesting over the last few years I've just taken on so many clients I haven't written as much and I miss that like yeah. you know I there was a period when I was sort of building my practice where I had the time and the space and the energy um to write so much more so it's wonderful that those articles are like still out there and impacting people and yes I mean it's you know that's it's been over four years, I think, since I wrote that article. But I mean, some of the things remain the same, you know, to be honest, there, there's definitely some, some challenges, I think that I probably still deal with as a result of that, you know, comfort with myself. So, um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to just answering your questions and having a wonderful dialogue. Great. And I before I forget, congratulations on your book as well. I know it just recently came out. And uh, I'm looking I haven't yet read it, but I am going to get my hands on it. And I'm going to read it. And I know that part of the proceeds go to charity. So that's another incentive to yeah. uh, buy that book. And I know for a fact that it's going to be a great read because as I said, I love the way you write and you are, you know, there's a reason why you're called a therapist for the millennials because you are so, so extremely relatable and it's, it's comfortable reading your writing. It's, it's like talking to a friend and amazing. I'm, I'm thank you so much for creating all those resources and for putting them out there in the world. Oh, you're so welcome. I think like, unfortunately, therapists have this, um, I don't know, stereotype of being like, we have it all figured out, or right. we're like, yeah. you know, very, like, they're supposed to be the blank slate and not have our own struggles. But I mean, that's just wholly untrue. I mean, so many of us go into this work because we struggle or have struggled. So I thought that it's important, especially during a time when authenticity seems rare um it's important yeah. for us to talk about what we go through and normalize the human experience yeah it is important because i think when we are talking to someone who has the label of an expert we're we feel like we're at the receiving end of a lot of judgment even if it is not overt or not out loud it's it's we feel like it's there which is why a lot of people are very reluctant uh, when it comes to approaching therapists or getting the help they need so i that is not an issue with you i think you're instantly comfortable as soon as someone starts reading your articles or you're listening to your interviews or your podcast. Uh, again, the podcast is such an amazing resource. Thank you so much for creating that as well. Oh, Kati, thank you so much. <laughs>
Okay, I have to ask you, like, I love your website. And on your website, the homepage, it says, do the shit that scares you, create the life you deserve. And I know that you believe that getting out of your comfort zone, again, it's so visible in the way you approach different topics. Uh, you believe that about you have to get out of your comfort zone to embrace growth and success in your life. Why do you think that's so key to your teachings and so key to growth and success? Yeah, great question, Krati. Um so I think a lot of us, most of us, uh, live our lives according to a desire for comfort. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's very human right. to seek pleasure and avoid pain or seek comfort and avoid discomfort. Um, you know, discomfort, usually, whether it's physical kind of pain or an emotional pain or discomfort, it is a signal that's there for us to pay attention to. And so, you know, if we're feeling anxiety or if we're feeling um, rejection or if we're feeling anger or something like that, evolutionarily, we're supposed to pay attention to those feelings because they're there for a reason as a signal for us to pay attention to. And then either, you know, run from the tiger or, you know, set the boundary with the person who's mistreated it, uh, mistreated us or crossed our boundary, um, you know, or try to do what we can to be accepted because rejection could mean that we get kicked out of the tribe or the group and uh, may die as a result, you know, and definitely not procreate. So there's a real kind of evolutionary basis to wanting to avoid discomfort or at least pay attention to it and turn it off. But the problem is, is that nowadays, uh, a lot of the discomfort or the emotional discomfort that we feel, it's not coming from a place of wisdom. It's coming from either like a place of trauma or a place of perfectionism. And sometimes those things, uh, you know, intersect. And so to give you an example, I mean, if we want to live a life uh, or create the life we deserve, you know, in, in the words that I used on my site, oftentimes that involves wanting partnership, you know, being in a relationship or, you know, building our social network or maybe um, going for a promotion or trying to mobilize our career in some way, or maybe starting a podcast, you know, or starting a, a business, becoming an entrepreneur. And so those are just a few, you know, examples. But ultimately, if we think about hmm, what's my dream life that I want to design, we probably have some goals that we'd like to achieve. But what prevents us from achieving those oftentimes is the fear of the discomfort that we might experience along the way, the uncertainty, the anxiety, the potential for embarrassment or humiliation or rejection or failure or heartbreak, the list goes on and on and on. And so ultimately, we have to learn how to invite in discomfort to be able to take those steps toward building the life that we deserve. It is really impossible to uh, go after goals and, um, you know, our dream life without stepping out of our comfort zone. And, you know, um, to just give like a really concrete example, I mean, we can think about acquiring a new skill, right? If you think about wanting to learn how to cook or play a sport or um, speak publicly, those are all potentially uncomfortable things that we're not born with those skills, right? And so we have to learn how to do it. And we can, you know, read in books some tips and things like that or hear other people share their experience. But at the end of the day, we have to just do it to gain that experiential learning and really learn how to, like, throw the ball or, you know, fold in the dough or whatever. I'm not really a cook, so I'm not actually <laughs> that, that reference very well. But, like, you know, learn those skills in cooking. Um or, you know, learn how to slow down in our speech and, you know, take moments and pauses appropriate and whatnot when we're speaking publicly. 
And so we do have to create this kind of space in which even though we may have read a lot or heard a lot or watched other people do the thing, we still have to step out of our comfort zone and do the thing to acquire the skill. And then over time, ideally with practice, we become far more comfortable and what was once out of our comfort zone is now in our expanded comfort zone. So if you think about something like dating, right, or, uh, you know, starting a business, we have to realize that rejection is a potential outcome of dating, reduction, embarrassment, anxiety, disappointment, humiliation, heartbreak, all of those anger, all of these sorts of things. And same thing with, you know, starting a business, if that's something that we want to do. Those are just two examples I often use, but really anything that we want to do that's a goal that's out of our comfort zone that has an element of discomfort to it. We have to learn how to accept and embrace some of the uncomfortable emotions that come along the way. And, you know, I can certainly talk about how to do that, and I imagine we will. But ultimately, we want to remember that these emotions and these experiences, as uncomfortable as they are, they're impermanent. You know, they come and go. And when we learn how to support ourselves through that, through self-compassion, self-care, connection, any other kind of resources that we need to um, acquire, then we can remind ourselves like, oh, I can do this. And so, um, you know, I work a lot with perfectionism. And of course, like we teach what we know. That's because I very much, you know, had my own journey of only doing things I knew I could succeed in, you know, like I was someone who I remember at, I think in my twenties, really, I was like, wow, I've really never failed at anything. But the reason I never failed at anything was because I never did anything out of my comfort zone. I only tried out for the teams I knew I could make. I only applied to the schools I knew I would get into. I only, you know, asked out the people that I knew would say yes. Like there was no risk in my life. And as a result, my life stayed pretty small and I didn't offer myself opportunities for growth. And I had a lot of anxiety because I was always like hyper vigilantly looking out for any opportunity where I could fail or I could be rejected. And I made sure that I orchestrated my life. So I never in- encountered those experiences. And so I also struggled, you know, pretty severely with eating disorders, depression. I mean, I mentioned anxiety already, but this all came from the same place of perfectionism and a desire to like not feel the shame that comes up when I experienced any of those difficult emotions or the belief that like, oh, I'm imperfect and therefore I'm unlovable. And so um, I realized I've tangented for a while here, so I'll pass it back over to you. But basically in, in some here, it's really, really important for us to recognize our relationship to discomfort and where we might unconsciously be avoiding uncomfortable experiences and then preventing ourselves from growing and achieving and um, experiencing as a result. Okay, so according to you, we should as and when we like we're living our life, we're taking on new goals. Should we be actively seeking out things that are outside our comfort zone? Or should we just take on whatever comes our way and not be reluctant to, or not be afraid of doing something that may not be familiar or comfortable. Which one do you recommend more? Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of a both and rather than an either or, I mean, you don't need to be a masochist about it, right? Like you don't need to go out there and just try to do like everything that scares you and, you know, try to experience painful emotion after painful emotion. Um, I do believe, and this again comes from that kind of like spiritual approach. I do believe it's important for us to train in the experience of discomfort to get to know it, but that can look like yoga or or meditation, right? Um, That's really just 
paying attention to our discomfort, paying attention to the itch that we want to scratch or like, you know, that sensation in our hip when we're in lizard pose or something like that and not reacting, you know, refraining from reacting to that by pulling ourselves out of the pose or scratching the itch. It doesn't mean we can never scratch the itch or we can never come out of the pose, but just staying with it for a moment longer. And we can do the same thing with our emotions. So, you know, if we're feeling rejected and um, the reactive part of ourselves wants to scream at that person and call them names or, you know, break something or whatever through the practice of mindfulness or through the practice of refraining from reacting to those emotions or sensations, we can stay with it a little bit longer, offer ourselves some self-compassion and respond instead of reacting. And so when you ask, you know, what do we do? Do we go seek out, you know, experiences that are uncomfortable to try to train ourselves? Or do we just kind of like see what comes along? Um, I do think there's merit to being intentional about it because, you know, something like the yoga room is a real laboratory where we can practice. But, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, life will give us lots of opportunities for practice. You don't need to like seek out discomfort because discomfort will come your way, whether you like it or not. The key is to try to pay attention to when you're experiencing discomfort and rather than kind of numbing it or distracting yourself from it or trying to like avoid it in every way, being a bit more open to it and uh, cultivating resources within and outside of yourself to be able to cope with it. But I think the issue is that, and we see this so much more now, people actively avoid putting themselves in positions where they have to be openly vulnerable. Like I know for men, of course, yeah. it's it's a big, big issue. Like yeah. men actively avoid being vulnerable, even to the extent where they would rather jeopardize a relationship than be open and uh, very, you know, verbal about their feelings. And then the women as well, they like in a professional situation, women are so driven by not letting their, uh, the, the being of the fact that they are a woman like letting those needs get in the way of their success so they avoid so they even forget about their health issues or they try to avoid you know dealing with their emotional needs just so that they can keep working and avoid being vulnerable so what do you suggest would help people to get past that issue because I think when you are constantly denying vulnerability I think there is a lot of work that needs to be done that you never even become aware of and you just you are getting through life drowning that voice in your head So how can we help people get past that? Totally. And I see this all the time with my clients who, yes, come in with health issues, you know, or they're just so deeply frustrated um, because they can't really understand why things aren't working out or why they don't feel good, or they are experiencing depression or an eating disorder or an addiction or something like that. And that's because, yes, they have this belief that they're not supposed to have feelings. It makes them weak. It makes them, um, you know, unpredictable. It makes them unemployable. It makes them a bad mother. It makes them a bad husband or father. You know, the list goes on, right? A bad man. And so this is something that, yes, is very bred into our culture, more so even into your culture, into Indian culture. And there are just so many expectations and pressures that we should be in our rational minds and we shouldn't feel emotions. And that creates such a disservice to humanity because it's what's at the root of reactivity. It's what's at the root of, um, again, addictions, numbing, um, you know, many mental health challenges, uh, again, like eating disorders in my case. And I see so much of this and more. And so it's really important for us, I think, as a first step to be vulnerable with ourselves, you know, before being vulnerable with other people, we have to accept that actually having emotions isn't a sign of weakness. It's a sign of humanness. And 
paying attention to our emotions and coming to learn what they're telling us and whether or not they're coming from a place of trauma or wisdom is actually the foundation of emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is what makes us successful and makes us happy, you know, and makes us more able to connect and makes us able to, um, you know, lead teams and, and make wise decisions and things. And so, unfortunately, again, because emotions are associated with women and are associated with, like, irrationality, they have this, like, negative connotation to them. And yeah. there's this sort of, like, interesting dynamic where, by paying attention to our emotions and coming to know them, we actually have more control over them. A lot of my clients are afraid that like once they start, you know, I'll often provide them with like a feelings wheel or vocabulary so they can start to get to know their emotions. And I'll tell them to do like check-ins, you know, once a day or a few times a week and start to understand like, what am I feeling in this moment? And they're afraid that by paying attention to their feelings, they're going to overwhelm themselves and they're going to feel even more. But the reality is, you know, has it ever, anytime like someone is anxious and you say, just relax, has that ever worked in history? You know, or if someone's like, you know, really upset and hurt and grieving and someone says, it's not that big of a deal. You know, you were only dating them for a couple of weeks or don't be sad, you know, or, or they're in a better place now or whatever. Like that doesn't help us. That's actually very invalidating. And it just causes, in addition to the grief or the anxiety or the heartbreak that we're experiencing, it just causes shame or it just causes um, anxiety on top of that. And so the first step is actually being vulnerable with ourselves or allowing vulnerability with ourselves and doing that by validating our own emotions. And so that could look like paying attention to what we're experiencing. And instead of saying, suck it up, Megan, or like be positive or just be grateful for what you have. Instead, it might be something like, oh, this really hurts. You know, this is a moment of suffering or, oh, sweetheart, it's understandable. You're feeling really lonely right now, you know, or you're feeling really disappointed or scared or heartbroken. Those are all really normal, healthy emotions to feel. What do you need right now? Um, you know, or validating that emotion with a real like empathy statement where we actually say, oh, it's understandable you're feeling heartbroken because, you know, you really love this person or you really, you know, saw future with them. And, you know, they're not interested in being with you anymore or something along those lines. Or, you know, you're disappointed because you were super excited about this, this job that you'd, you know, interviewed for and it sounds like they passed over you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's really important for that to be the first step. And it's, it's I think, impossible right. for us to be vulnerable with others if we can't be vulnerable with ourselves and we can't create space for ourselves to feel our emotions. So that's the first step. Um, I do think the word vulnerability, like many words in the wellness world or personal growth world is overused and oftentimes um, misunderstood. And, you know, Brene Brown, of course, has like really um, uh, proliferated this vulnerability idea and has done incredible, incredible work in connecting like vulnerability and shame um, or vulnerability and and alleviating shame. Um, But it is important to realize that like and she says this too, it is important to realize not everyone is deserving of our story or our vulnerability. Not everyone or not every place is a safe place to share our story. So while I would love, you know, ideally for every workplace to be supportive when we say, hey, like, you know, I just had a miscarriage and I'm like, you know, absolutely devastated and I don't think I can be present today or I'm going through a breakup or am I just lost a parent? I mean, losing a parent is one that's a bit more accepted in our society, but we have a lot of experiences of what we call disenfranchised grief where we have a major loss or going through a transition that isn't Um, accepted or isn't like deserving in some ways of others sympathy and support and so I would love if every leader and boss out there was empathic enough to be like oh 
you know, oh, how devastating. Like, I'm here for you. What do you need right now? Let's figure out what you need to still be able to get your work done. Who can support you in finishing this? Do you need to take some time off? What feels realistic? Let's check in. That would be wonderful. But that's not always the case. And so we want to kind of scan in our lives who is deserving of my vulnerability and who is going to support me in this. And it's not always, even some friends aren't those people, you know, we have friends who we go to sometimes for like tangible advice, but not empathy or the type of support that we might be looking for with vulnerability. And so it's important after we accept and provide um, permission to ourselves to be vulnerable, we then want to look around and be like, okay, who can I now turn to to share this story and mitigate some of my shame interrelationally um, and, you know, with whom might sharing this story or this experience actually be more harmful or cause me pain because I'll feel abandoned by them or judged by them. Um, and that's like, it's nuanced because sometimes our minds tell us that someone's going to judge us and they really aren't, you know, there, there's that real opportunity there for connection and intimacy. Um, but our minds are trying to protect us by saying, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone, they're going to think you're crazy or you're broken or you're fucked up or whatever. So, so I think those are kind of like the first major steps that I would say, again, vulnerability with yourself, giving yourself permission to cry, to be upset, to feel whatever the feelings are, validating that, asking yourself what you need, and then deciding who in your circle, um, A, is either like deserving of this vulnerability and will be helpful in mitigating the shame or burning off the shame that that's created around the story. Or, um, you know, who needs to hear this because you need help from them or you need them to be, have some understanding and more information about, like, why you may not be um, okay, meeting okay. expectations. I, I want to ask you a question that might be a little controversial, but I have uh, experienced this issue yeah. so many times when I am uh, doing a one-on-one -on -one session that I have to ask you. Uh, okay, I always tell people to be vulnerable, to give themselves permission to feel grief or or to even you know indulge themselves in a, in a, a fit of uh, crying or or whatever they need basically you know to soothe themselves to soothe emotions whatever their needs may be but i also often notice that when you start getting the the, the feedback you need as and when you are down and out and you need someone to lean on what happens is people start doing it more and more in the sense that they stop trying to help themselves i mean like there, there are people who when they are mm -hmm. uh, they're feeling low or they are feeling defeated or lost or confused they're going to help themselves because they feel like they can't be vulnerable around others which i think makes things a little difficult for them but then there are people who are so used to leaning on others but e that even when they're dealing with something that they can't fix and move on they don't do that it's, it's, it's the point where victim mentality sets in and you are suddenly excusing yourself over and over again and avoiding life and making it look like, oh, I'm just processing things. It's, it's a little controversial, but I do see that happen a lot. Um, yeah, and I want to be careful not to like um, paint right, with right. broad brushstrokes or whatever, but um, I think, you know, we're all seeking connection and we all want to feel a sense of love and belonging and significance. And for many of us, you know, maybe it was growing up, we only felt like our parents loved us or were present when we were sick or when we fell off our bike and skinned our knee. Um, and so a lot of people don't know how to ask for help or don't know um, how to connect or experience intimacy or feel seen or don't believe that they're deserving of love and support 
if they're not in crisis or if they're not um, like visibly suffering. And so it may be the case, and I don't know if this, I don't know the situation with, you know, some of the examples you're sharing, but for some people, um, the idea of this like quote unquote victim mentality, which I think is like a pretty dis- disparaging term, um, that's often just coming from a place of like not knowing how to ask for support or connection and only being able to do it or only feeling like they deserve it because, you know, they had a parent who told them to, that, that or a parent who only was present maybe like when they were sick or when they were um, right. in physical pain or being bullied or something like that. And so uh, I think it's important, you know, I mean, this is the work that we do in therapy or that we do as we start to come to know ourselves better. It's important, A, for us to try to recognize, like, what are my patterns, you know, is is this, like, how does it feel for me to be in crisis or to, um, you know, have a problem and is my immediate kind of feeling in response to that, oh, this is an opportunity, you know, to make someone feel sorry for me, which really at the end of the day is just a desire for connection and a desire to be seen. And is there an opportunity here for me to, you know, use my words and, and ask for this in a different way? Now, at the same time, there's also responsibility for whomever's in this position of constantly coming in and like rescuing the person, right? And this is when we get into that kind of enabling codependent dynamic that's and again, I don't love that word codependency. I think it's really pathologizing, but it, there can be a dynamic, whether it's, you know, a person is struggling with a mental health challenge or an addiction, or they are kind of like constantly in crisis, the damsel in distress or the, I don't know what the male form of a damsel is, but is that a dame? I don't know. I guess dame in distress. Um, you know, and so, and, and yes, there's one person who feels like, okay, I've always got to be in crisis to be seen, or I have to have a problem to feel loved and relevant and taken care of. And then the other person in that dynamic thinks, I love to feel needed. I need to take care of this person, this person's well-being, or, you know, happiness depends on me and my happiness in turn depends on them or my sense of significance and relevance. So really like, one person is feeling relevant by always being in crisis and one person is feeling relevant by being like the crisis manager or the fixer. And that can get quite messy and can actually be really enabling. And so I think there's equal responsibility on, on both sides in a dynamic like that for the person who might constantly be in the quote unquote victim role to recognize where they're perpetuating, um, their own sense of powerlessness and not wanting to move forward out of a certain pattern that's unserving for them there's equal responsibility for that person as there is for the person who's not setting boundaries and saying, Hey, you know, I'm realizing that actually I think I might be enabling this pattern. And as a therapist, I mean, we, we encounter this often, right? I mean, this is something that, uh, you know, in the literature kind of shows up as, um, you know, clients resistance or fear around change, because they think if I change, and I've heard this from clients explicitly before, if I get better, will you abandon me? You know, if I no longer I'm struggling with this challenge, uh, does that mean I'm going to be alone? And, you know, no one's going to be there for me, because all they know is feeling relevant or significant, if um, they're again, their problem is like big enough to, to, to warrant support. And they have this idea or this underlying belief that they don't warrant support otherwise. So again, don't want to paint it with broad brush strokes, but I really invite people listening. If they have that kind of idea of, Oh, this person's like stuck in a victim mentality, try to bring some compassion to it and understand that like that probably comes from somewhere. And that quote unquote victim mentality has probably served them in some ways. Now, of course it's not serving them in other ways. And that's what we want to help them get past, but it's not coming from a place of like, maliciousness or weakness or something along those lines it's oftentimes just a um you know a sense of not being worthy and a fear of being abandoned should they actually uh 
get better. Okay. First of all, everything you've shared makes so much sense. And I think you have a very compassionate take on it. And what you said about the term victim mentality being a very, uh, being somewhat of a, a, I think a term of attack, I think it's disparaging. It is denigrating even. Do you have, like, I don't know, because that's that's the term I very often find myself yeah. using, not to the person, the person concerned mm-hmm. in that situation, but I do often use it in my articles and my workshops. I, I, I honestly don't know how else to define yeah. it. Well, I, I love that, um, that that resonated for you, Kati, and that you you want to change that. Um, I think um, it's tough because a lot of people kind of know what that means. I mean, that is a term that we is often used, yeah. you know, in our world. Um, I think that, I mean, let me, I'll have to, I'll think about it and I can like email you later. <laughs> if I talk about something, but I think yeah. like, you know, just a, a person who's ambivalent around change because mm-hmm. they're, where they are is is serving them, you know, in some way, or because they're getting something out of being stuck, you know, a person who is, who's ambivalent around moving through their stuckness, Uh because being stuck is offering them connection, you know, that might, I mean, it's it's much longer than victim mentality, but, um, but that might be like a nicer way. And, and language is really important, the language we use with ourselves and with our clients. Um, And when we talk about this stuff, because again, it's very pathologizing a lot of the time, and it doesn't, it doesn't account for the fact that like we we're all just, you know, sort of constellations or mosaics of our, our genetics and our past experiences and our trauma and our, um, you know, culture and our families and our past relationships and stuff like that. And so it's not a person's fault. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my, my favorite quotes is um, I think it's Paul Gilbert or maybe it's um, the Hoffman, Bob Hoffman. But um, it's it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. And I think that really beautifully encompasses uh, this idea that, like, it's not your fault. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, whatever challenges you're facing, they're not your fault. I mean, everything that has happened is because of something that happened before it. So, like, you can't, you, you know, it, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility to change it. And actually I'm realizing, yeah, that was Paul Gilbert. And the one that Bob Hoffman says is no one is guilty, but everyone is to blame. Or sorry, no one is, no one is, yes. Wait, oh shoot. Now I'm, now I'm, now I'm missing out. I'm missing out. Um, everyone is guilty, but no one is to blame. That's what it is. And it's the same kind of thing. It's like, look, like we may be guilty and like we may have like perpetuated some of these issues that we're struggling with. But we're not to blame because something would have happened before that, you know, maybe yeah. generations yeah. before, but like everything is kind of based on something that preceded it. And it's really important for us to, to remove that shame and say like, okay, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm dealing with. Stop beating yourself up and comparing yourself to that person on Instagram who seems to have it all figured out because like you have completely different stories and experiences. And so that allows us to remove some of that shame and feel more empowered to make a change rather than being stuck in our shame and paralyzed by it. Yeah. As I said, you have put forth a very compassionate point, and I try to include this as much as I can in my content because there's always a story that we're not hearing. And the reason people do this, the reason people keep playing somewhat of a, I think, a helpless or a powerless role in their life, like, again, I I don't want to use any kind of language that makes people feel attacked, but we do notice that sometimes people are, they choose to play a role that, that, where they don't have to assume control of their own life because they they are, I think they're afraid that the fear is like the most dominating emotion in situations like that. And they're afraid that if they have to step up to the plate and they have to take control, they won't be able to handle it. Things are going to spiral out of control. And 
things are going to fall apart. So it's just easier to battle in that fear. And we have to remember that there's always a story at play. There's always something that may have happened in their childhood that even they're not aware of. So I hope uh, our listeners make note of that. I hope they make note of everything you've shared because sometimes we can get a little harsh with someone. We get tired and we just, we snap at people and we tell them to, we say things like, snap out of it. Is this enough? It's been two years now and things like that. And that can be cruel. And instead of helping, you might just set them back. Totally. And that can, that can leave people feeling abandoned. And this kind of comes back to like that vulnerability piece and who we choose to share our, our stories with or our pain with. Um, you know, again, that kind of like, suck it up, be strong, be positive, be grateful, or like, why don't you leave them already or whatever. And um, it can, for, for the person who's on the receiving end of that, they can feel really abandoned. Whereas empathy, just kind of being there and saying like, hey, you know, it really sounds like you're feeling whatever it is that that person's feeling. Um, that leaves a person feeling seen and supported. And at the end of the day, like, it's not our life. Like, people get so, and again, I mean, I, I think I've struggled with this as a therapist a little bit, although in recent years, I've had you know, beautiful opportunities from the universe with people in my life where I've learned, like, you can't change people. Yeah. And it's not, it's not fair to try to change people. If someone wants to change, it's, it's, it is up to them and you can offer them this space to do so and help them see things in a different light. But you can't be attached to someone else's, um, you know, change process. I mean, that again comes back to codependency. And that's where like, we have this invested interest or vested interest in another person's life, which, which isn't fair. Like we don't have all of the information, even as a therapist or coach, like it is not fair for us to determine another person's goals for them. It is up to them to decide because they're living in their experience, what is best for them. And we can support them and coach them through that. Um, but I, you know, I, I have this, I've been on both sides of this spectrum, you know, whether it's people in my life who I love, who struggle with addictions or are in shitty relationships or whatever, um, you know, kind of being attached to their, their, uh, the outcome of what happens for them and learning and having a lot of like humbling experiences where I'm like, shit, like I actually don't have the right to do this and it's not serving me and it's not serving them. And like, instead, let me just accept them for who they are and where they are and like love them through this. And the same thing for ourselves. You know, I've been on the other end of people who had, you know, real opinions, you know, understandably so because they care about me about like, you know, my career or my like, relationships or friendships or you know any of those sorts of things decisions basically and as much as I appreciate you know that they care about me and want to support me um I have had to set boundaries with them because again they don't they're not living my experience and so we have to just kind of remember that about ourselves and about other people as well yeah you you make a great point there because sometimes people are doing their best to understand what you are sharing but they just don't have the same, they don't have the same experiences and they don't have the resources to draw upon to really connect with you in that particular regard. Like I, I, my relationship with my mom is the most important thing in my life. I adore her and she's a great mom. But whenever we talk about my childhood and I tell her that, you know, well, what X by incident really hurt me, she doesn't get it. She doesn't see it. Because she's she was a very present mother. She showed up for everything. And she she's not wrong. She's not a psychologist. She didn't see those things the way, you know, in, in, a, in the way that she should have seen them. But it was not her fault. And today she tries to understand them. But she doesn't have that same experience. And it's not like she doesn't, she wants to invalidate my feelings. Or she wants to hurt my feelings. It's she's doing her best 
her best may not be good enough for me on that particular day, but she is still doing her best. And you have to remember that when it comes to uh, the people in your life. So that is, yeah, that's a great point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think like, especially with family, and I certainly have have dealt with this a lot myself, um, you know, there can be a lot of shame and a lot of um, pain around hearing, hey, like you let me down or you weren't there for me in the way that I needed you to be. And so not everybody's ready to receive that feedback. And, um, you know, believe us in, in it for lack of a better term. And so that's not, again, about our experience being invalid. It's more about where they're at in their ability to um, honor or validate our experience. And, and you know, again, I wish every parent or sibling or, or whoever um, validated the experiences of their family members, but it, unfortunately it, it, you know, it happens less often than we would like it to. And the other thing I just wanted to add that I think is important um, is that when we, when we share our pain with someone or our experience with someone, oftentimes the person who's hearing us share that, or if we're on the other end of someone sharing their pain with us, there's this sort of like unspoken implication or message like, I need advice, or I need you to tell me what to do, or I need, um, you know, to be coached through this or whatever. And that's oftentimes not what we're asking for by sharing our pain. Sometimes we just want to be seen and held or again, validated, or we want to know that like, we're not judged, even though we're going through something. So I would say to anybody listening, like if you're on the supporting end, assume actually that that person is just looking for empathy unless they actually ask for advice. So, you know, try to just listen and support and like, you know, hear them and provide empathy statements like, oh, I can really hear your feeling, whatever it is that they're feeling. And then if they ask for advice, you can offer that. And at the same, in the same breath, like if you are um, wanting support from someone, sometimes we have to say, hey, listen, like I'm going through this thing right now and I want to talk about it, but I actually don't want advice. Like I would just love if you could just like listen and like be encouraging and supportive, but I don't actually need to hear your opinion on my career or relationship or travel plans or whatever, that kind of thing. So it can be helpful. Sometimes we have to actually like clarify what we need versus just like leaving that unspoken assumption that we're looking for advice. Excellent. I think you've just given people a map to navigate those (laughs) very, very delicate situations. Um, Can you share some, like, I know that there are certain signs and symptoms and I hate to use this again, but of a, of a victim mentality, like if you know these signs and symptoms, maybe you can notice that that sort of tendency in yourself, but any, any ones that you would recommend to people, like if you want to make sure that you're not gravitating to that role and to avoid that. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, again, not to be like too clinical about it. Um, but most of the time or much of the time that like quote unquote victim mentality, or, you know, what do we want to call it? We want to say it's more like ambivalence around moving through stuckness because stuckness is serving that person. Um, that comes along with borderline personality disorder or qualities that uh, are characteristic of borderline personality disorder, which really is like an intense fear of abandonment and a lot of just attachment trauma or relational trauma. And so if a person, um, you know, has had a lot of relational trauma growing up, meaning like they didn't have a consistent or reliable caregiver, or they experienced some physical or emotional or sexual abuse, or um, yeah, maybe they experienced a lot of neglect, or again, um, someone who's more neglected usually tends to be more of that kind of like avoidant attachment. But again, for someone who is like really, really terrified of abandonment, um, and doesn't know how to regulate their emotions, and, you know, through their 
pain that they experience, they turn towards substances or eating disorders or, um, you know, they, they make a lot of uh, threats about being suicidal. There's a lot of suicidality or there's, um, you know, promiscuous sexual behavior, which again, like, I don't even like that word promiscuous. Like, I think we should all be promiscuous if we want to be, but like, um, you know, there's sort of, but that's oftentimes like a seeking connection or validation or something like that. Uh, so if you've ever, you know, been diagnosed with BPD or you've had people who have maybe said like, oh, maybe you have some signs of this or whatever. Um, that's oftentimes associated with more of this, like, again, quote unquote, victim mentality. Um, but I think, I think really more than, more than that and more than like diagnoses or what people have told you, it's just trying to really be clear with yourself on what your relationship is to suffering you know is it serving you in some way whether it's depression or an addiction um you know again like eating disorders often are this like kind of a a cry for help in some ways like if it's like if you don't know how to actually express yourself and say i'm in pain i need support or i'm lonely or i'm struggling and your way of doing that is through um showing suffering and kind of staying in that place of suffering because it's making you feel relevant or making you feel like there's an opportunity now for love or support, then you might want to start to question like, okay, well, what does recovery look like? If I do, if there's a part of me that wants change and a part of me that wants to get out of this toxic relationship or, you know, this, um, give up this, you know, give up drinking or, or whatever it is, um, heal from this eating disorder. If there's a part of me that wants to do that, great. Like let's understand that part and, and what it wants and, and really kind of, marinate that and then also let's understand the part this is what I often do with clients and I think we don't do it enough in like the therapy and coaching world we talk about the part that wants to change which is great and we try to like grow that part but we also need to give voice um or airtime to the part that doesn't want to change like let's talk and not from a place again of like shaming and pathologizing like we want that's the inner child that's like digging the heels and being like no I don't want to leave like I like here I feel safe here why do you feel safe you know what is causing like that sense of safety what is how is this serving you what what is it giving you and how like and in many of those cases, well, it makes me have a sense of identity. It makes me feel relevant. Uh, people care about me. People want to help me. It feels really good to have someone come in and give me a hug or call me and check in on me and say, hey, how are you doing? You know, there is like this feeling of being seen there. And so it's important to think like, okay, yeah. those are all really important qualities or experiences of being human. How can we create those experiences in a more healed or recovered state? And so I think it comes down to, again, trying to remove shame from the experience. And that's why I think we should just throw that term victim mentality, but remove shame from the experience and say, well, like what's serving you about being in this experience? How is it protecting you? You know, like for people, I have so many clients who, again, they're more kind of that like avoidantly attached spectrum and they're very lonely, but they are terrified of, you know, expanding their social network or dating or something like that. Because again, they have so much fear around rejection or intimacy. And, um, and so being alone is protective for them, you know, being kind of uh, uh, keeping relationships superficial or spending a lot of time alone or not putting themselves out there. It's painful, but it's, it's, it's what they know. And it's less painful than the pain of potential rejection or abandonment. And so I think yeah. again, like I know I sort of been tangenting about this, but like, I think it's just really important to come at it without shame and to be curious about like, how is this serving you? And, um, you know, let's, let's hear the, the, the inner child part, not just the part that wants to change. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. I I hope more people can do that. And I like to recommend uh, maintaining a a journal, a written record of these moments for yourself, just so you can look back and maybe notice your own patterns, because it's easier when you notice them on your own and not have someone else point out. Do you think that would be useful? Sure. Yeah, I, I, I mean, oftentimes with clients, I'll, I'll send journaling prompts after our sessions for the week. And um, I think that's I, I myself do a lot of journaling. Um, I think it's it's a super helpful way of um, documenting and gaining awareness around and processing through, uh, you know, our various different habits and challenges. And I just encourage people, if you are interested in starting a like, journaling habit, um, just don't pressure yourself for it to like, be you know grammatically correct or all your spelling is perfect or whatever i mean for me i just open up a a gmail um draft uh email and i don't address it to anyone of course and (laughs) i just i just you know journal in there and it's password protected and it's saved and it's a nice place to just i mean for me i think for most people nowadays typing is much easier than uh physically writing um so 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 i think yeah absolutely journaling is, is a great way of kind of paying attention and documenting and um just continuing to gain awareness yeah. around around yourself. Yeah, great, great. And I think anyone who has read your articles know this about you, that as and when you tackle a, a topic, be it in your article or even your uh, interviews, your podcast, you have a, I mean, you don't attack yourself, but you are very objective. Even when you're analyzing your own opinions, your own ap- life approach, your own way of doing things, you are very analytical. And in places where you feel it's necessary or it's okay you're even self-critical so do you encourage that in people because I feel like that that could be dangerous for some people like self-criticism could very easily lead to uh, anxiety and and self-loathing so is there like a a way to do that definitely no that's a great question and um I think so yes, you're right. Self, we, we really want to avoid being self-critical from a place of shaming and kind of like, you know, you're a bad person or you're broken or that kind of thing. Um, that being said, there is room for self-criticism within self-compassion, if that makes sense. And I'll explain it. But um, we want to have a relationship to ourselves that's like a reparenting relationship, a relationship that maybe we didn't have with our parents or maybe we just want to like, you know, replicate or... Um, enhance or improve the relationship that we did have with our parents. And so any parent, you know, listening or person who's been parented or or has, you know, nieces or nephews or whatever knows that you have to set boundaries with children. You know, there, you still want to have expectations for them. And there are times where you do want to, again, reinforce positive behavior and um, punish bad behavior or express your disappointment and again, set boundaries. And so we want to be able to do the same thing with ourselves. And um, when I talk about compassion or self-compassion, there is a yin and a yang to self-compassion. And unfortunately, or, or any kind of compassion, compassion with ourselves, compassion with others, which actually kind of tracks back to what we were talking about before, any type of relationship that can be enabling, we want to make sure that we're not just standing in the yin of compassion, which is the feminine. We also want to be in the yang of compassion. And so the yin of compassion, whether it's with ourselves or with someone else or with a child or whatever is all of the things that you think it would be. It's warmth and tolerance and patience and sympathy and empathy and forgiveness and all of those things, right? And those are all really, really important qualities of compassion. Um, 
But the yang side, the masculine side, is also incredibly important. And under the yang of compassion is boundaries, uh, respect, um, expectations, uh, a desire for growth, you know, or working toward being better. Um, and that list kind of goes on as well. And we want to have both of these when we relate to ourselves and when we relate to others. So coming back to the example of, you know, the person who's maybe struggling with the addiction, um, who we enable through never setting boundaries with them, we do need to set some boundaries around, hey, like, you know, if this um, continues to put a wedge between our relationship or, you know, you continue to lash out as a result of your drinking or whatever, like, I will take some space or I will leave you if it's a romantic relationship or, you know, I am going to set some sort of boundary in some way or whatever. And I am here and I want to work on this, if you will, but I expect that you're going to have a desire for growth and change. And that might mean like going to therapy or, um, you know, us kind of coming up with some sort of plan together for what that looks like to abstain or going to A or whatever. Um, so that's a, an example with another person, but with ourselves, we want to do the same thing. So when you um, talk about being self-critical, uh, being self-critical from a place of like overarching self-rejection and self-abandonment is not helpful. That is what creates shame. That is what creates a sense of like powerlessness or despair. Um, but there is a lot of room for self-criticism within a self-compassionate relationship to self. And that's, again, the kind of reparenting um hey, you know, this wasn't really within your integrity. I want you to be better. Like for me, um, I, I do believe I always want to be a better person. And that's really important to me. And I'm not the best person. I'm not perfect. I mean, I sometimes, you know, have like said, ne- I mean, not sometimes, I mean, I've definitely said negative things about people. Um, you know, I've flaked out on projects, you know, or not been able to finish things I said I was going to finish. Um, you know, I've canceled on plans last minute. Um, I've not acted within my integrity for like what I expect from, expect from myself when it comes to like self-care, for example. Um, and so it's, I'm not coming at it from this like authoritarian, like you can never make any mistakes because of course we're going to make mistakes. But I do also have a desire for growth where I want to be better with my partner. I want to be better with myself. I want to be, um, you know, again, a better human. I want to continue to challenge myself to step out of my comfort zone. I want to be more responsive to texts and emails, you know, like there are all these areas that I want to improve upon. And it's not coming from a place of perfectionism. It's coming from a place of self-compassion and desire and growth. And another one of my favorite quotes is, you are enough as you are and there is room for growth. And those things can live alongside each other. So I am enough as I am. I love myself so much and um, have this like unconditional love for myself and accept that I have all these imperfections and I'm lovable anyway. And also I want to, you know, in hopefully my next 34 years on this planet or whatever, I, I do hope that I will continue to grow and work through some of my own like ego driven behaviors or, you know, heal some of my own insecurities that caused me to not always be the best person. So does that yeah, make yeah, sense? Yeah. That makes sense. So it, as and when we are criticizing ourselves, even if it is the constructive uh, variety of criticism, you need to set expectations, acknowledge the work you've done and, uh, make it constructive in the sense that you're setting expectations that you need to meet and it's not coming from a place of perfectionism. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And think of it again, like that whole idea of reparenting and that's something that like the holistic psychologist on Instagram talks about a lot. So she's got great resources on that, but this whole idea of reparenting, like just thinking like, what would I expect from a friend or loved one or my child? I mean, obviously you might have different expectations for like a young child than for yourself, but um, we expect that our friends respond to our texts and don't just like flake on us you know we expect that our, our co-workers or colleagues like communicate if they're going to 
you know, have a be delayed on meeting a deadline. Um, we expect that our partners, like, you know, are don't cheat on us. Or, I mean, uh, most of us expect that, right? Like, so we can have expectations for ourselves in the same way that we have for people who we really love and admire. And that's not about, um, you know, shaming or rejecting. It's really just, it's actually, um, that's actually love. Like, I think love and compassion um, which, you know, some people use interchangeably, some people don't, um, that true compassion and love that we have for others, there's a lot of room for boundaries and expectations in that because really interrelationally, we help each other be the best versions of ourselves. And we cannot grow or desire growth if we don't see like our deficits or the areas we need to grow. And that's what people do for us. They hold a mirror up to us and say, that's what a therapist does ideally with a client or a coach or a client, but also like a friend or a romantic partner says, Hey, I love you. And I'm not going anywhere yet, but there's this thing that I'm struggling with and I'm noticing in your behavior. And I wonder what your thoughts are on that. And like, if we can, you know, kind of rise together and be better versions of ourselves. Yeah. It's, this is a great recommendation. I, I think people, a lot of the time, they dismiss it because it's so simple. Like, don't say to yourself what you want to say to a loved one. Don't treat yourself in a way you wouldn't treat someone you love and care about. But people often dismiss it, but it's actually a very, very effective way of handling your own situations. And I think you've put it, you know, you've really clarified why it's so effective. So I really hope people make note of it. But should they find themselves spiraling? Should they find themselves, uh, you know, falling into a pit of self-loathing or facing rejection as like we suggested that people should get out of their comfort zone you get out of your comfort zone things don't go your way right and now you're standing on a ledge and you're feeling like you're just not good enough things are never going to go your way things are never going to change how do you bounce back from that any any effective strategies for that well tell me more about what you mean by standing on a ledge okay. you mean physically like, like literally standing on a ledge or no 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 okay. <laughs> i think that would be a whole other conversation so a lot of the times in workshops like where people are being consciously guided towards a more self-aware place they would often find that they are lacking, you know, because we always fixate on the things that we lack. We never remember to acknowledge the things that we already have. So you are fixating on the things that are not so great about you. And suddenly you realize that, oh my God, all of these goals that I've set for myself need this exactly the skills that I don't have. Maybe you have a moment like that, or maybe you just took on a project because you were encouraging yourself to, you know, take on new, new challenges. And things don't go your way. Now you, for the first time in a long time, you stepped out of your comfort zone. Things didn't go your way. And suddenly you're thinking, I, sh I never should have done that. I knew I wasn't, uh, you know, qualified for it. Why did I do it? So how do people bounce back from that? Totally. I mean, I think, and look, like I've been there before for sure. I mean, I've had like some speaking gigs just go terribly, you know, like bomb them and, uh, you know, or, or put out content that's just been like absolutely, you know, attacked and so many negative contents and comments, excuse me, and things like that. And so it is really defeating. And I think it's important to like take a moment to nurture yourself and kind of lick your wounds a bit um, rather than being like, okay, like I'm not phased by this at all. Of course, you're going to be phased by it. You're human, you know? And so I think like any type of failure or rejection, whether it's in our careers or in our social or dating lives or whatever, we have to tend to our wounds first and be like, you know, this hurts, this sucks. Like, you know, you're feeling really rejected or disappointed or humiliated or ashamed or whatever. Um, it's important to also trust that like that will pass and these the acuity or the, the acuteness of those feelings will not be 
um, as severe in a week or a month or a year or whatever. And it's actually a sign that you stepped out of your comfort zone. So like, congratulations. I mean, I often say failure or rejection is a sign you stepped out of your comfort yeah. zone. So you should you know, be proud of yourself alongside that pain. Um, and then it's important to connect with others, you know, people who are on your team, people who can remind you like um, that uh, of your worth and, and remind you of, of how lovable you are, even if it's not explicitly just being in connection with others is really important because, you know, in those places of deep shame, um, we are in like a polyvagal state of shutdown and we want to be in something where we're feeling more connected and in that like ventral vagal system, which is, um, which is kind of where we do the tendon befriend or able to connect and feel better and feel calm and stuff like that. So there's a real physiological piece there as well. Um, and so I think, yeah, like licking your wounds and kind of giving yourself space to acknowledge that this hurts. Um, acknowledging and recognizing you stepped out of your comfort zone and, and congratulating yourself for that and connecting with people who do make you feel loved and supported and hearing some narratives too from them right. or, or around you that like, yeah, this is normal. Failure is a normal part of being human, you know, rejection, humiliation, all those things are normal parts of being human. It doesn't mean you're broken or bad or you failed. And I also think that like we kind of spiritually bypass. And what I mean by that is like, we try to focus too much on the positives Um without actually going to the feelings, these moments that are really devastating. And, uh, you know, I had a client text me um, recently, you know, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm about to break. And I know that feeling, like I've been there many times. And, and I, I, you know, recently, actually, especially, and I wrote her back and I said, like, it's okay to break, like, you're not going to stay broken, but like, let yourself break. Right. And I think, again, we're too focused on being like, Oh, my God, I'm going to break, I'm going to break, I have to hold it. It's like, let yourself break let yourself cry. Like, let yourself have that breakdown. People are so afraid of losing control and think that they might go into like psychosis or something. You will not stay broken. Humans are resilient. We have been through so much. You have been through so much in your life. You know, I'm sure people listening, if you're interested in this stuff, you clearly have been through shit. And so knowing you've been through so much, you can get through another hard thing. Um, I, there's like, you know, that kind of cheesy quote that's a great one that's like, you've survived every, you know, day of your life this far, like you'll survive another one or something along those lines. And like looking back sometimes and reminding ourselves of our resilience is really important. And I think, um, again, we create, when we're feeling pain, we create suffering by judging ourselves in our pain. So coming back to the client that I shared, you know, she was in deep, deep pain and she was sort of creating suffering by not allowing herself to be in her pain or by judging herself by being in pain. And so normalizing that experience of feeling broken, of kind of hitting rock bottom, of being like, I can't do it anymore. I'm so tired, which is, I think what a lot of people are feeling right now, by yeah. the way, in the pandemic, True. like, you know, we just, I mean, it's nine months at this point that we've been like, trying, you know, to have some sense of normalcy, even though we're like totally disconnected and feeling chronic anxiety and can't do any fun things and have all this uncertainty and, you know, at the same time, maybe have guilt for our privilege and, you know, have gone through all of these experiences of grief and, and on and on and on. And so I think like, I'm a fan of, of, of breaking when a person feels like they're going to break. I'm a fan of, of, you know, if you're in that place where you're on the ledge, as you say, don't like, you know, jump if it's the proverbial ledge or like the real ledge, but, but, you know, let yourself be in that place and trust, like, this is just part of yeah. being human. And these moments of despair are a part of being human and show up with self-compassion, try to find some like support and self-care and trust that like, there will be wisdom in that experience. And, you know, eventually you'll have the courage. I mean, 
again, I think back to like the speaking gigs I fucking bombed, you know, or the guys who broke my heart and like how it took me a while before I wanted to put myself out there again. But then you do put yourself out there again and you get the courage to do it, but don't pressure yourself to like, you know, do it tomorrow. Yeah. And you saying that there there have been gigs where you didn't do so well, I think had you just crawled back into a corner, I think you would we wouldn't have all the content that you've created. We wouldn't have access to all of the the intellectual property you've put out there that is helping so many people. So we have to remember that, as you said, if we just back off and don't ever do that again, we are going to miss out on so many wonderful adventures in life. Well, th- thank you for saying that. And and also, like, that's not just because of, like, the self-compassion piece. That is because of the people who supported me and, you know, you know, rallied around for me and reminded me that it's, it's, it's valuable. So it is, like, we do want to be able to go to others to seek that kind of, like, reassurance and um, encouragement. And I don't think, again, like, in the self-help world, we have this like really individualistic narrative. It's like, you shouldn't seek validation from others. You have to find it within yourself. And I think that's bullshit. Like we're wounded in relationship and we heal in relationship. And it's really important for us to have connection Mm -hmm. and cheerleaders in our lives to help encourage us to, you know, make the leap to whatever scary thing we're wanting to do. That makes sense. Thank you for pointing that out because I often forget that too. And I'm going to try and include that point more in my content because yeah, if you've, you're reeling from rejection from a second person. It's okay to ask for healing from another human being, maybe in a different relationship, but that's okay. That's nothing to be ashamed about. I often forget that. Thank you for pointing that out. And uh, I know that your book is also about, it's like, I've written something here. Uh, It's easier than ever to numb our difficult feelings and avoid doing the work, which is, so true like we've been talking about it's so much easier to cling to our safe like those safe boundaries imaginary boundaries that we've created and just stay within those limits so uh, your book I think is going to be an incredible resource you mind talking about that a little bit because I really want people to get that yeah yes of course um so you know it's interesting I've actually been I've been working on a different book for the last few years um that I do hope to release in, in coming months um, but this one uh, was more of like a passion project that I did in collaboration with Active Minds, which is a mental health organization um, for youth and, and college students. And it, uh, you know, was really focused on suicide prevention and mental health awareness across campuses. And um, I had, you know, compiled a bunch of, you know, my writings and some new ones and old ones and really just wanted to create this like spiritual bathroom reader of sorts where it was really digestible and easy to read and sort of just like, um, I was inspired by, by, I'm not sure if you're a Pema Chodron fan, but uh, her um, book, Comfortable with Uncertainty, is like, I think, 101 teachings on um, something like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I love the idea of kind of these like little bite-sized, almost sort of Instagram-worthy um, little uh, teachings, I guess, or lessons. And so my book is um, called How to Be Alone and Together, and it's uh, 72 Lessons on Being at Peace with Yourself. And... Um, It really just chronicles a lot of um, the learnings or teachings that I have integrated over the past, I'd say, more than a decade at this point. But, you know, for me, I hit my rock bottom or I broke um, about a decade ago, you know, when I hit rock bottom, ironically, after finishing my master's um, in psychology, but I was still really struggling with um, anxiety and depression and anorexia at that time. I struggled with bulimia for many years before that. 
Um, and it, it just uh, shares a lot of teachings around changing your relationship to yourself, um, as we've talked a lot about this episode, and also changing your relationship to pain, which I think so many of us need to do, pain or discomfort. And so once we learn how to do those things and we gain this like awareness and allow ourselves to be more imperfect and step out of our comfort zones and stuff like that, I think we really can create this life that we deserve. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a fairly easy read. I think for anyone interested in like psycho spirituality or psychology and spirituality, um, and just deepening their self-awareness and gaining some tools around, um, uh, relating to themselves in a, in a different way and becoming more confident and competent and, uh, secure and things like that. Um, I think the resilient, I think is another one that this offers. So it, it, it's a great resource for that. And uh, half of the proceeds go to Active Minds. Great. That's wonderful. So uh, apart from this, any other resources that you would recommend uh, for people? Um, I mean, I love uh, everything by Brene Brown, of course, is wonderful. I also love Kristen Neff, who's sort of the, um, you know, the, the voice of, of self-compassion, one of the originators of self-compassion um, and putting it into practice. And she has a book just called Self-Compassion that I think is still wonderful and, and taught me so much. Um, which will help people, I think, understand more their relationship to perfectionism and uh, how self-compassion can help them, whether it's with depression or anxiety or eating disorders, their relationships, that kind of thing. Um, I, I, I mean, the book When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron was like seminal for me in you know the beginning of my spiritual journey or whatever you want to call it, where I really began to understand pain through more of a Buddhist lens. Um, and that's ultimately where a lot of like what I speak about comes from is, is are those teachings and this idea of like impermanence and uh, um, yeah, just acknowledging that life is painful and we shouldn't try to avoid pain. We need to learn instead how to be with it. Um, so yeah, I think those are like the couple of resources I'll share. I mean, there are so many authors um, or, or um, you know, experts in the field that I could recommend. Um, but I think, you know, it's always better to just, give a couple to start rather than overwhelm people. So feel free to, if people want to know more, reach out to me and I can offer you some more suggestions. Awesome. Awesome. And if you could give, just if you were allowed to give only one tip to people that could enhance their life and enhance the quality of their life, what would that one tip be? Hmm. Um, I mean, part of me wants to say like, download the Peloton app right now and do like the short yoga classes because it's okay. super cheap. It's like free for three months and you can do like a 10 or 15 minute yoga class, which can help you get started with learning how to start to pay attention to and respond differently to pain. So that's like, part of me wants to say that. So maybe say that, but, um, but you know, I think in addition to that, it is just so, so important for those of us, especially those of us who've been taught to like numb and avoid our emotions, it's so important for us to start to gain awareness around what we're feeling. Because if we never learn what we're feeling in the moment, we never can practice mindfulness and non-reactivity. We never do have control over how we respond to situations versus reacting. And so I think like starting to pay attention to your emotions, you know, is super, super important. And so you can do that by like setting a timer every day on your phone and just like making note of what that feeling is. Um, just Google feelings wheel and, you know, can kind of cross reference what you're feeling with what that has. And um, the other thing I will say too, I know this is three now, but like the other thing I'll just say is um, really try to challenge that narrative that like you're supposed to be perfect or that imperfection means you're broken or doing things wrong. Like we're surrounded by Instagram and, you know, all of these narratives that 
we're supposed to be a certain way and that we're failing. And that's just marketing, like trying to sell you things. I mean, that's ultimately what's at the root of the fashion industry, the diet industry, even the self-help industry in many cases. Um, But it's what makes people want to buy things and work harder. And it's like the foundation of capitalism. And when we let go of some of that and realize that like we're enough as we are and we, we, yeah, we're, of course we're imperfect. That's the quality of being human. So is everybody else. Um, which Kristen F talks a lot about, it's really relieving because it means you can actually accept yourself as you are rather than like believing, okay, it's only when I reach this goal or it's only when I do this thing that I'll be able to feel like I'm enough or put myself out there and date or accept myself and be able to kind of like sleep at night kind of thing. Yeah. Brilliant. Amazing. See, this is this conversation is a reminder of why I adore your work so much. You need to know that I've got like so much more I want to learn from you, but oh. I'm going to let you go. Hopefully we will do this soon again. That sounds so great. Awesome. Okay, Kati. Well, thank you again for having me and thank you for the work that you're doing. And yeah, for anyone listening, if you want to connect, please reach out to me. Um, you know, if you want to work with me or someone on my team. Um, and uh, yeah, please go check out my book and support Active Minds and, and learn a little bit more about what I've spoken about on Amazon. That was the awesome Megan Bruno. I am sure you can see now why I am something of a fan. Now, if you want to explore the resources shared by our guest, just go to my website, redefinenarrative.com, search for the podcast episode, and there should be a list of resources and links for you to explore. If you found today's episode useful, I'll appreciate it if you'll please rate and review the show on iTunes or share it on Instagram. It will help others find the information should they need it. Remember to tag me at mehra underscore krati so that I can thank you for your time. And if there is any particular concern or issue you want me to cover on the show, reach out to me on Instagram or use the contact page on my website. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week. Till then, please do take care of yourself.